I want to add my own word of welcome. It's, it's a pleasure to see everybody here tonight. Familiar faces, some, and some new faces, so we're happy about that. I'm just going to speak for a few minutes from God's Word, and on your table, there's the section that I'm going to um, actually read from. So if you'd take a minute, maybe grab that, um, and you'll see 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 to 10. I'm going to read, and then I'm going to pray and ask God for His help, and then we'll get right to it. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. The man who's writing is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to his colleague in ministry, Timothy. Verse 8. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus, and this is wonderful, before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. If you would, just bow your head, please, and pray with me. Well, Father, I am not ashamed of the gospel, but I do need your help tonight to preach it. And God, we all need your spirit to make these words known and to make them matter. This is about eternity and where we stand in it before you. So please help everyone in this room to feel the weight of that reality and and to feel wherever and know wherever our current place lies in it. Glorify yourself as your son is preached. For Jesus' sake, we pray these things. Amen. Well, I want you to think with me for a moment in in books, in plays, and in movies, when when a woman or a man sacrifices their life or substitutes their life for the good of another, those are some of the most inspiring um, and moving plot lines. I mean, most people that I know don't get very inspired when Johnny in the story is being incredibly selfish and he's greedy, whether it be on screen or in the book, but... When someone is being brave and noble and sacrifices their life for others, suffers in order that others will not have to, those are the kind of stories we would read of as children and say, at least I would, maybe even adults would say, yes, yes, I want to be brave like that. I want to be noble and have my life count for something like that. Now ask yourself the question, why do those stories move us? Well, part of the answer is because from the most ordinary corners of our life to the most dramatic, all life-changing, life-altering events in our life is built on some kind of substitutionary sacrifice. In other words, we know that anyone who has done anything which has really made an honest difference in our life made it by making some kind of sacrifice for us, paid something, or bore the burden of something so that we would not have to. In two months' time, my dad's going to be 90 years old. And I cannot think about his life without thinking of just one gigantic sacrifice for others. And frankly, he's still at it. And you see, what makes the Bible utterly unlike any other religious book and and Christianity different than any other religious method is 
the unsurpassed grace we encounter, which tells us of a God who has made that sacrifice and appeared in a flesh and blood body in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, to be the world's only, that's important, and final sacrifice for her sins. And of course, the barrier for a person to enjoy this is one, will they admit they are a sinner of such a desperate state before a holy God that they need someone to make a sacrifice for them? And two, will they believe that they have it, but only in God's Son, Jesus Christ? That's Christianity at its core. And you see, that is much of what Paul is writing here, especially in verse 10, when he says, and and you notice how we put verse 10 in bold? That's important. In fact, I'd love for you to look at it again, again, because I'm actually going to read it again. Paul says, In the appearing of our Savior Savior Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality light through the gospel. So the gospel is the good news of Christ's sacrifice for our sins. And you see, that is the the fundamental sin of humanity, in essence, is our refusal to honor God as God. And I think many of you understand this. So God speaks through his word. He speaks through our conscience. He speaks through his son, Jesus It's all love, it's all good, and we're told this is how we are to live in God's word, and yet so often, what do we say? We say no. Now, that does not say people are not religious. God knows we are religious. It's not to say people are not superstitious and use superstition as a way to deal with God. God knows we do that sometimes. And it's also not to say that people are not aware of God. God's word actually says everybody knows God exists. God exists. But it is to say that when a person thinks about God and begins to frame their life by nature, we want to go our own way and we want to do our own thing. Now, again, it doesn't mean we don't want God involved. It just means that we don't want God to take the lead, which is just as worse as not wanting God to be involved. And you see, oftentimes that is what makes 21st century life without Christ so empty, so boring, so frustrating, and frankly, very uninspiring. In fact, the Bible calls life without Christ an empty way to live. Empty. Why does the Bible say that? One, because we were not created by God to do our own thing and go our own way. The Bible has a name for that. It's called sin. And the Bible has a punishment for that. And it's called, if it's left unforgiven. If that way of life is left unforgiven, it is an eternal life, past death, lived in utter misery without God. Now, frankly, and I want you to think with me, that is just the fuller extension and the conclusion of that empty way of life without Christ. But the horror of it all is that it's unending. There are no more new days. In eternity, you won't fall asleep and hope the next day is a bit better. One, there will be no sleep. And two, there's no day to hope for. But the good news, and and I hope you see why it's good news. Verse 8, the good news that we're not to be ashamed of is that we can be rescued from the sin of doing our own thing and going our own way and the judgment that that calls for, but only through a sacrifice. Not our sacrifice, God no, but Jesus' sacrifice. The giving of his flesh and blood body as he substitutes himself for our sin by his death on the cross to pay our debt to God. That's the good news. That's the news that puts people right with God and keeps people right with God so there doesn't have to be any more trouble with us and God at all. Forever. 
starting the moment that you become a Christian. The Bible's clear on that. Therefore, everything about life after death, if it's going to be any good at all, it all hinges on one person, Jesus Christ. That's what the text is saying. You see it, Christ appeared, Christ destroyed death, Christ brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So let's just take those super quick one by one. First, Christ appeared. So this is history, right? 2,000 years, the Christian church has been declaring Jesus appeared. It's the logic behind Advent. It's the story of Christmas. Real history. This is not science fiction. This is not once upon a time, but the once in time appearance of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. So God messengers, the angels, they broke into the world. So yeah, Christianity is supernatural, not, not science fiction, but supernatural. They'll proclaim the child, 210, there you see it there, 2110, Savior Jesus Christ. He existed before time, that's verse 9, he's God, why would we expect anything less? Yet he appeared as a baby from the womb of the Virgin Mary. He grows up, he taught, his lessons can be found in the Gospels. He had a band of followers, he did miracles, which even his enemies, think of this, even non-Christian sources verified the miracles that Jesus did. He was tried in a Jewish and Roman court, beat to a bloody pulp, nails through his hands, hung on a cross. He cries out at the end, Tetelestai, it's finished. He dies, a spear through his side to certify that he was dead. But three days later, he's walking around teaching his followers 11 different appearances. And one time, he appeared before 500 people. Thomas, the great doubter will die 30 years past the resurrection in India declaring Jesus is alive. I saw him. He was alive after his death. And Paul says, I believe this is true and I believe Jesus will keep me through death. Now the big question is, do we believe that? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Will you trust me with your life? I can get you through death. That's number one, Christ appeared. Number two, he destroyed death. Well, this is kind of interesting to me. The word destroy means to make ineffective, to make powerless, to nullify. So Paul says, Jesus, by his death, makes death ineffective. No power at all. In another place, Paul compares death to a a bug who can bite, but there's no sting. He likens death to a military commander whose army has just been completely defeated. In fact, Think of this. Paul's so confident that Jesus has defeated death that he writes, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? He's taunting death. I mean, that's amazing. The image of my head, I was like, okay, if Mike Tyson was in front of me, can you imagine me taunting Mike Tyson? (laughs) Like, in a half a second, it's done, right? Paul is taunting death. That's not typical. But his confidence lies. Now, please listen. Not in the fact that, you know, he's come to terms with his death or he's at peace with the number of his days. No, his confidence is in in that Jesus' death has destroyed death by dealing with the ultimate cause of death, his sin. So for the number of times we've said in God's world, not now, God, this is my life, back off. Death is the ultimate punishment. And please don't think death is natural. Don't tell your children, don't tell your grandchildren death is natural because the Bible says death is an enemy. I mean, think about that. Why do we do, most of us, do everything we can to stay alive? 
Death came as a result of sin. Death is punishment. It's an infection which has been in the human bloodline since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. So the Bible is really honest, right? Everybody sin. The wages, the Bible says, of that sin is death. So the clock of our life is ticking. This week I read an article about Warren Buffett and he was doing this interview and you know he's one of the wealthiest people on the planet and the interviewer asked kind of like in a lighthearted way, uh, Mr. Buffett, what would you like to buy with your money? And it was, it was funny because his answer was this, well I can buy anything I want basically, but I can't buy time. I wish I could, but I can't. Warren Buffett is 88 years old. His answer makes good sense. Paul's truth can help that man. Mr. Buffett, Jesus Christ can solve your time problem. Jesus Christ has dealt with the reason why you're growing old, sin, by his sacrifice on the cross for it. And his resurrection, see there, verse 10, brings life and immortality beyond the grave. And Christ gives this kind of immortal life to those who say, not do, please no, but say, right? Yes, God, I've lived with no reverence for you in this world, and I've lived with no reference to you at all. I pander to you on occasion, but I live like I'm the master of my fate and the captain of my soul. I'm sorry. This is what I did many years ago. I need you to forgive me. I need your mercy. And God gave it to me. And by the way, I I don't want you to think that Paul is promising a life with, with no tears and no sadness and no suffering. He's not. Jesus has destroyed death and, by contrast, brought life and immortality to light. But when Jesus walked this earth, now I want you to think with me. When he walked this earth, he lived a perfect life. No one could say rightly to Jesus, you're wrong. You're doing wrong. Why did you say that? But he lived a life of suffering that would break a billion hearts. He was a man of suffering. So much that people hid their faces from him. That's Isaiah. And, of course, people hated him. So, so if any person comes to you, you know, waving a Bible, saying, hey, follow me, I can teach you to have no problem at all in this life, you know, my advice to you would be to, to run away from them, and I'm going to quote Shakespeare for you, because that is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing, right? So run away from that kind of person. Number one, Christ appeared. Number two, Christ destroyed death. Finally, Christ has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. In other words, we have the promise of God of life and immortality past death. So often when I serve people who are sick and they're very near their death, I read lots and lots of the Bible to them. And one of the passages I always read is John 14. This is Jesus the night before the cross. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe me. My father's house has many rooms. He says, I'm going there to prepare a place for you and I will come back and take you to be with me so that we can be together, right? So Jesus, on the night before his death, he tells his followers, I have a place for you. He says, I have a home for you. It, it's it's kind of like being prepared when a loving pam- family, they're just kind of waiting for you to come to their house at Christmas and, and they're thrilled to see you and, and you come in and they said, hey, the bed is made, the sheets have been washed, the towels are brand new, chocolate is on your nightstand, you just come on in. But Jesus says, wait a minute, I'm the one that has to escort you past death. So as the believer dies, Jesus is there and says, okay, it's time. 
It's time. Let's go. I mean, you don't think you're going to get through death and find your way into heaven on your own, do you? God, I hope not. Life is so short. We flip through it with such speed. One of my favorite movies is Fiddler on the Roof. Do you remember this song? Is this the little girl I carried? Is this the little boy at, at play? I don't remember growing older. When did they? When did she get to be a beauty? When did he grow to be so tall? Wasn't it yesterday when they were so small? And then the refrain, sunrise, sunset, swiftly flow the days. Many years ago, I had a good Christian friend. He's very dear to me. He, he was on his deathbed, and the last thing I said to him was, goodbye, I love you, I'll see you again. Now, everybody on this planet can say the first two phrases. They can say goodbye, and I love you. But only the Christian is able to say the third phrase, I will see you again. And the great question that I have for you this evening, do you want that? If you do, you have to be rescued by Jesus Christ. You need a substitute. It's Christ. You see, everything about Christianity hinges on one person, Jesus Christ. Listen to this quote that I just picked up today on my Instagram feed. Every other religion in the world is a religion of do. Christianity alone is the religion of done. Done. So Christianity is not, you know, good people propagating their goodness but it's bad people realizing they're bad and they're crying out for mercy. Oh, Jesus, will you help me? Will you rescue me? And I just want to tell you, everything I've said to you tonight, I need to be true. I need this to be true because I can be so evil. Some mornings I'm ready for Jesus to be at my bedstand, you know, imaginary. Here's like, give me your Bible, give me your books, give me your computer, you're done. It's over. You know, go be a postman or something else. You're through here. That's a lot of mornings. I need a rescuer. I have it in Jesus Christ. Let's end by saying this, that we know nothing of what takes place past death by our own personal experience. That's true. But Jesus Christ does. And Jesus Christ has spoken. The gospel record says that he was dead, but is now alive. And for two millennia, the church of Jesus Christ has been declaring that truth and we've been singing his praise. So will you trust Jesus with your life? He can get you past death. Can I read you a little quote? This is a young man who was listening to the gospel preach and he was struggling like all get out. And Listen to what he said. It was so honest. He said, I'm beginning to see that I can and must believe in God and I'm simply frightened. I've grown accustomed to life without him to a certain extent. If I admit to myself that he is real, I know I'll sh I shall have to do something about it, and I feel my whole life may be upset from these unknown but possible changes. I shrink. At least he was honest. At least he was honest because he knew what Jesus was saying. I can be your sacrifice. And when I become your sacrifice... I'll become your king. Thanks for your attention.
Let's pray. Now, I'm going to be around. If you want to talk, I'd love to speak with you. There are other people here that can do just as good a job as I can. But if you're sitting there right now and this has, has, some, has rung true to you and, and you want to have Jesus as your sacrifice, just say something so simple. Say, Jesus, have mercy on me. Forgive me of my sins. Help me. I know your death is what I need to be rescued from sin and death. I know you're alive. I believe you're God's son. I want you to be my substitute. Thank you. Father, will you please, will you please come in power now? May, may your will be done. And will you save us? For Jesus' sake, we ask these things. Amen.